ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb, and I am glad to be joined by my good friend and one of my favorite guests, uh, Dan Lust Esquire, host of uh, Conduct Detrimental uh, podcast and the master of the website, Conduct Detrimental, which you should check out. It's the number one, I think, sports law website out there to go along with the number one sports law podcast. Uh, Dan, glad to have you back. Um, but I- I'm sorry bringing you back at such a boring time in sports law. Very boring. Um, there is nothing going on. I have no billable hours. My desk is just collecting dust. There's just nothing going on here. Uh, maybe we could talk about wrestling, but definitely not going to be talking about sports law here. No, no, nothing at all. Um, you, know, you know, we could talk about Dave. We could talk about Dave, your Instagram reels, your, your game. I've been seeing you stepping it up recently. My daughter has been pushing me to, to get more active and do more things. She's like, Papa, do, do, do more. And I said, okay, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. So I'm getting into it a little bit more. I got to gotta do better, but I'm stepping it up a little bit. Yes, yes. I'm I see fine. you. I see you, Dave. It has been stepped up. Tell your daughter it's working. Uh, I will let her know because she is, she is pushing hard at being my social media manager at 14. And she knows she knows more than I do, of course. They, they, they know more. They know more. So um, that has been an interesting thing. But the big... I guess the biggest thing today right now of many big things that have happened today alone um, is this the announcement that Deshaun Watson, the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, um, the NFL has extended his suspension from six games to 11 games, and he will receive a five million dollar fine um, in a in on top of the game checks that he will miss uh, for those 11 games. Um, again, this is always a thorny thing because first you go back to the original decision by the judge who says, this is the most egregious thing I've ever seen. The NFL has proved its case. Um, and this is just, they only chose five women out of the 24, 26 women, um, that had allegations against Deshaun. They only chose five to present. Judge says, you presented this case. It's the most egregious thing we've ever seen. There are all these conditions she put forward that he can never get a massage outside of the team facility ever again. And he got six games. And, it, and so then you get in the process of the NFL appealing to the NFL, which is always a weird thing of you going to yourself to appeal punishment. And then you come back with what seems like a bargain deal, which it is between the NFL PA and the league to come to this 11 game conclusion, which I don't think many people are satisfied with in the general public. It feels as if it still wasn't enough um, by the general public. And then the financial part of this still feels very light considering the, the overwhelming amount of money he got from the Browns. And the fact that they kind of tried to circumnavigate the, the salary by giving him a league minimum salary for year one, it just this it, it, it's the resolution, but it doesn't feel like this has been resolved well. Um, you laid it out well. I mean, it's it's funny. I did a um, I've been covering this case for our shows for about a year and a half, so I'm I'm in the weeds. It sounds like you are. Um, I I did a Twitter Spaces a couple hours ago, and then as I'm talking this through, I'm like, wow, I could really teach a class on Deshaun Watsonisms. 
Deshaun Watsonisms, who we'll call it that. Um, and then, uh, Dave, as you know, I'm, I'm a sports law professor at New York Law School, so I'm literally going to be teaching a class on Deshaun Watson. So um, you laid out a couple numbers. The, the way I like to explain this, um, just so people see where we w- were coming from and where we will be going, um, it's kind of, you know, 60, 66 masseuses in a 17-month period uh, is the number reported by the New York Times. And that number sounds like a lot, but it's even more when you remember the 17 months was during, you know, points during the height of the pandemic. So it's a large number. 30 women have settled separate claims with the Houston Texans. Okay, so of the Venn diagram of people, you still have about 36 that have received massages in some way, shape or form, or given massages that have not settled with the Texans. Okay, 25 women have filed lawsuits. 24 were active. A 25th had filed a lawsuit, but she withdrew it because she didn't want to reveal um, her name. So there are people that are writing uh, on social media and, and even Deshaun Watson's agent has put out a statement. He wants to put this behind him. And that's why he settled. And I'm like, well, there are still more numbers out there than there are settlements that have been reached as far as we know. So, you know, it's not really in the past. Um yeah, the the even the you know Watson settling you know for eleven games, and we could talk about how the NFL arrived at that number and the and Watson, but there is no deadline. Um, there's a there's a fancy thing in the law called the statute of limitations. That's your deadline by which you have to sue or bring a criminal case. Um, so there is obviously one for civil and criminal court. There is no such one for the NFL. So Browns fans and Watson's like, okay, finally we're done. We can focus on the next four years of this. This contract is not really the case because you could have someone pop up, I don't know, two, three years from now, you know, halfway through the contract and say, hey, Watson actually did something worse to me than, than what any of these other women. And then, Dave, to your point, you said something very interesting. The NFL uh, originally presented the case of five women. And then I think we didn't really understand why it went from five to four. But I think the judge only ended up was deciding on four cases. So the, the four that the judge looked at. The judge found that sexual assault occurred in four out of four, so 100%. So people have asked me why the NFL didn't present the cases of 24 or 30 or 66 women. I'm not sure. I I know the stated reason, at least that um, some people have reported, that um, I guess the NFL only wanted to present the people that had like subsequent text messages with Deshaun Watson. So Watson, I guess, had said, um, you know, I'd maybe apologize to some women via tech. So he wanted to use the women that I think were the most credible. I think that's the easy way to put it. Um, but I don't know, right? Uh, Dave, you've, you've seen my take on this. Uh, and to put a pin on it, we can get into like, you know, the the money, the $5 million fine. And then there's also this, um, this condition that the NFL wants Watson to be evaluated by a behavioral expert who will give Watson conditions to which he can return to the league. So those are the kind of the cherry on top, the sweetener, whatever you want to call it. But the 11 games sounds like a lot. It's a little more than half the season. Sure, that's a lot. But when you're talking about four women, we're not talking about the 24, the 25, the 30, whatever. 11 divided by four, which is what the judge found, is 2.75. So in the world that we live in in 2022, you now have something on the books that says, if you commit sexual assault, you're going to be given basically a three-game suspension, a little bit less, which sounds very low. It sounds very low. So, yeah, if you say half a season, yeah, that sounds pretty big, but you really do go into the mechanics of it. 2.75 games per sexual assault. You're at kind of Ray Rice levels here, right? And that, and that certainly didn't go over well when that happened. 
No, and then Ray Rice ended up losing the entire season, essentially. And again, this was Ray Rice was one incident, and it's not to minimize that, but we have to keep it in context. For Ray Rice, it was a domestic violence situation between him and his partner that, you know, um, he had to deal with a one-on-one incident, and it essentially cost him his career, partially because of his age. We understand that the, the, the NFL eats up running backs, and, and that certainly drove part of that as well. But yeah, that was a physical assault on one person that cost him essentially his entire season. This is, as you said, four assaults where, again, she used the word egregious, not just that they had presented enough evidence to prove their case, but that this was egregious. And to me, you're saying if it's something that bad, you can't say, I know that's what judges can do, but you can't lean on precedent and say, well, the league is, this is what the league has done before. You're a judge. You can set precedent here because you've not seen anything like this in the NFL. We've not had a case where some a player has been accused of this many sexual assaults at one time. We've never had this before. So this, to me, you, you have to take the opportunity to set precedent here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to trust your audience here. You know, we can have a more of an adult conversation. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't want to do it on Twitter spaces. I don't know, you know. It just didn't seem like the form to do it. But people can go through the complaints. Um, we don't know which of the four women the NFL used. I've read all 24 complaints that were filed. Um, I don't know if I saw the one that was withdrawn. I think I have. I think I've seen every complaint here. Of the 24, 25, um, we'll just say that there are some acts that were alleged that are grotesque, whatever you want to call it. They're allegations. Watson did settle all these cases. So he didn't settle some and not others. He settled all of them. So uh, the, the understanding is that he paid some money to settle all of the cases. I, I bring up this point because um, Judge Robinson, her decision, she drew a line in the sand between violent and nonviolent sexual assault. Violent sexual assault is obviously going to be treated more seriously than nonviolent sexual assault. But if you read all 24 complaints, I don't know. There are some acts that, that come pretty close to violent. Um, I don't know who, who wants to draw that line. The you know, Judge Robinson found and used, used the term egregious. She said that it met the definition of sexual assault. And, you know, just from from my vantage point, if you're saying something is sexual assault. I don't know how much further we need to go for it to be violent. I'm not sure who necessarily drew that line um, or why that line needs to be drawn. But, um, you know, I I'm I'm certainly um I'm not going to be one that says, you know, uh, and, and I guess, Dave, you and I should point out before people, your audience yells at us, a grand jury in Texas, two separate grand juries found that no sexual assault occurred. They found there was no misdemeanor sexual assault, no felony sexual assault, no nothing, no criminal charges. So if someone's sitting here, hey, how aren't we pointing out that a grand jury found the complete opposite? Fair point. Very fair point. But the NFL didn't suspend him because of those grand juries. They waited until a judge who I think probably knows the law better than random grand juries, right? It's a separate, you know, people can maybe debate on this at different standards of proof for the grand jury, which was actually a lower standard of proof than the judge. The judge looked at a higher standard of proof, something called 51% preponderance of the evidence and said that the NFL proved their case. So, you know, uh, it's like uh, in sports, if you play the same uh, game on a different field, maybe you get one result one time, one result a different time. That's the best way to explain it. There are inconsistent uh, results that were reached. 
but the NFL waited for a judge to find that sexual assault occurred and then dropped the hand. So 2.75 games per sexual assault that are egregious. If they are the really bad allegations and people can read the complaints, I'm not going to talk about it here. If people want to read the really bad ones, 2.75 seems light. And I'm, I'm happy to say it. Yeah. And I think that, the, you know, when you talk about the, the violence part of it, when you are a six foot four inch, 215, 220 pound athlete dealing with women, there is a sense not even, you don't necessarily have to use the actual force of your physicality. There is some fear just of your size. There is some physical coercion of because of your stature. And there's also that of your position within that community because you right. are Deshaun Watson. So there, those things too, I think, weigh into it. I think it's interesting as well that as much as Roger Goodell, Goodell wants to set up and, and talk about, well, we didn't think that the punishment was correct. We still haven't heard much as, as far as it goes for the Browns or for the Texans and their roles in, the, especially the Texans in not only helping in disseminating non-disclosure agreements for Deshaun, writing them up and giving them to him, but then also, like you said, facilitating some of these agreements. And, and, and it's just for the Browns today, when they have their press conference to basically again say, well, we're ready to just put this behind us. You know, he's a young guy. You excuse these things. It's, it's, it's over and done with. Browns fans, I, I think that, you know, football being football, it, the machine will roll on. But there's, a, there's this heavy tone deafness that feels like it comes from the league here as well, that it's talking out of both sides of its mouth. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. Like anyone listening to this, I mean, there's just so many different elements to this, right? Um, I guess the, the one that we should address too, right? Last year, Roger Goodell refused to put Deshaun Watson on the commissioner's exempt list. And that was in October. That was six months after I read the complaints. Everyone read the complaints. Mm -hmm. Six months after the NFL learned about them. And I don't know if it's six months quite, but it was several weeks after the NFL had met with the accusers directly. So uh, if you want me to make the other argument, it's like, okay, Raj, buddy, you didn't think there was enough to put him on the exempt list back then, but now you want to suspend him for a year? How does that make sense? Right. So they do want to talk out of both sides of their mouth. And even Watson today, and I'm not, I'm not, I didn't take to Twitter in at any point in time and demand an apology from Deshaun Watson. I, I you know, it's, I'm, I'm not, it's not my, it's not for to us. Do that. It's not, but, but then I, I do have to sit here and say, if you are, if you want to proclaim your innocence, I'm fine with that. And not apologize. I am totally fine with that. I'm not, I don't see it either way. But if you're going to apologize, he goes, I'm apologizing to the people that were triggered. And I'm like, who are you apologizing to? Are you apologizing to your team? Are you apologizing? You're not apologizing to the women because the people that were triggered, you can't refer to them by name. You're not apologizing to the organization. So I'm like, and then if I didn't, if you didn't think that was bad enough, you know, Watson's team took to Twitter after that and tried to do damage control. Well, he, he wasn't apologizing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That wasn't an apology. He's always proclaimed his innocence. So I'm like, so it's been mishandled by the, the Browns, the Haslam's. It's been mismanaged by Watson. It's been mismanaged by Goodell. I think all over the place. And, and David, the biggest thing that, that you and I have not spoke about yet, which, you know, we're trying to figure out why 11 games. I'm trying to figure out. It's a weird number. I, I, I said between 10 and 12. And that was, that was the number I gave. It's between, um, you know, the NFL reportedly wanted at least a 12-game suspension before this whole thing started, and Watson wanted at least eight games. So I wasn't saying anything crazy. I'm like, they're going to find a number in the middle, and I think they're going to lean towards the NFLs. So then I'm like, yeah, 11 was kind of weird. You know, I, I probably should have said 10 or 12. I didn't think 11. Now, why 11? It works out. Watson's first game back of this NFL season is going to be against the Houston Texans 
in Houston. So I'm like, okay, that was mismanaged too. We're setting this thing up to be this giant, like a uh, media event. He's going to be back in Houston this first time. I'm like, whose idea was that? Like, just make it 10, make it 12. You know, this, that was a pretty dumb decision in and of itself. So I don't know. I don't, I think everyone's got to get failing grades on the PR level. This is, and it's not over. It's not over. Like you said, like there could be more. And, and as these, the, the, the cases that did not get settled go forward, there could be some very more damaging testimony that comes out. Um, the financial part of it is, is, is I think, is really going to bother some folks, though, too. The fact that, again, with the Browns and then paying him so little this year, knowing and fully expecting, like the whole strategy, you could tell when they signed that contract, was them knowing he was going to miss games and setting it up in that way. And then this $5 million, that becomes a tax deduction. Like, so, I mean, essentially, he's getting a break in doing this. That fine is, is I mean, it, it's money that he's going to recoup rather easily, and it benefits him ultimately in some ways to do this. Yeah, you could say it's a tax break. It's also just like pocket change. He's finding in his couch when he's signing for $230 million. Um, You know, it's funny, and uh, I, I sh- we should address it, right? You're a Saints fan, right, Dave, I imagine? Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of organizations at the time. I remember it because we were covering really well. Watson was almost going to be released. If I, I saw different reports that if he was charged with a felony by those grand juries, he could have been released. So he goes from being the most – you know, toxic asset from a PR level to being like the most prized asset in the NFL. And there were, you know, teams the Saints who were reportedly attached to him, the Falcons, the Panthers, um, and the Browns. Uh, and of all those teams, I, I did research on it recently for something I was working on, you know, all of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, Falcons were in the Super Bowl recently. Saints obviously won a Super Bowl. Panthers were in a Super Bowl not that long ago with the Jake DeLomera. Um, the Browns have had this, you know, track record of futility dating and, and with the quarterback position dating back about 30 years, you know, it's unlike Since any, any other. Are. Right. I mean, I, I literally looked at it. It's like Tim couch, Kelly Holcomb, you know, Brady Quinn, you go back, back, back. It's crazy. So you have to wonder like this, you have like to cover the story, you have to cover it from the journalistic perspective and the sports perspective. H- how and why would a team take that big of a risk on the guy, pay him $230 million, part with three first round picks, and kind of look past all the red flags because the Browns are very clear that they did their due diligence on this. They didn't say, we made a mistake. We did this too quickly. They said they did a due diligence. They paid people exorbitant sums of money to do the due diligence. And then you have a guy like Tony Busby, who you, Dave, and I talked about, uh, you know, on, on our previous, you know, previous times I've come to the show. It came out that no NFL team reached out to Tony Busby. No one. So I'm like, I don't know how you could have done your due diligence. That's almost... That's almost closing your eyes and, and stepping into the Tigers den and hoping for the best. And just saying, you know what? Less is more. I probably don't want to know all the bad things. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what the Browns did, but I'd be really shocked, even knowing the Browns' record of futility, that they knew everything that was coming down the pike and decided to do it anyway. And the question that I posed on my show, I posed with random people I meet out in public that ask me about the case. I say, what's worse? Knowing everything and signing him and to 230 and, and trading three first round picks, knowing it or not knowing it. What is worse? What says more about you as an organization? And I don't know the answer to that, but um, you know, uh, at least one one giant chapter of the Deshaun saga is is closing today. We're certainly not done, 
but a big one is closing today. Um, we'll do one more on the criminal side before we get into some of these, well, two more, because it also, for Saints fans, they're very interested in Alvin Kamara's status, and it looks like for him, there won't be any discipline for him this year related to the incident that he had at the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas where he was uh, seen and is, is being uh, accused of participating in, in an assault on an individual uh, group assault, him and a couple of other guys beating up a guy. Um, but it looks like Kamara's going to skate through the season without discipline this year. Um, that's a physical assault that was caught on tape. I mean, that's because casinos got tape. That's what, that's the one thing casinos do is have cameras and, I, I, like I said, Saints fans, you know, that's good news that he's not going to, you know, because they're expecting big things from the team this year. But at the same time, again, with the NFL, you have this evidence right here and you have the authority and the ability that you negotiated to to make these decisions, even without a criminal conviction. I'm very surprised that they did not try to take some action this year on Kamara instead of letting it go and sit for an entire year. Okay, so we'll do another little bit of a sports law class here for a second. It, the the NFL has kind of worked itself into a corner with with the way they've the the different ways we'll say it different ways they've handled punishment, right? So go to the furthest end of the spectrum. Calvin Ridley gets suspended for a year for uh, a six team parlay. He was not competing in uh, any of the games because he was he was away from the team. Year suspension. DeAndre Hopkins has test positive for PEDs. Uh, he gets a six-game suspension. Okay. Stephen Ross, owner of the Miami Dolphins, it says uh, the NFL says he has the worst tampering ever in the history of the sport. He was talking to Sean Payton, talking to Tom Brady, trying to make this big coup. He's also accused, oh, what did you know, of uh, bribing uh, Brian Flores $100,000 to lose games. What's the suspension for him? Six games. Okay. Okay. Uh, and Deshaun Watson gets... 11 games originally get six games. Okay. None of this makes sense. N number one. Now, uh, like you, you said one thing, right? All casinos have cameras. In addition to the casinos having cameras, Alvin Kamara walked into a police station and, and kind of admitted it. So I don't know if the camera, uh, you know, they say picture says a thousand words. I say a video says a million words. You saying it yourself says everything. There's no other words that are needed. That's all you need. So, uh, and there's probably one other decision point or one other case that I think is relevant to this. You know, it's the NFL certainly doesn't want to set a precedent. If you're accused of something by somebody, we're just going to suspend you. And I think that's what we learned with Deshaun Watson. They really took their time. So give the NFL credit on that sense. They waited. I think they probably waited too long. Um, and if 24 women who don't know each other are saying something, you know, I think that's probably a good sign that you don't need to wait. But whatever, the NFL eventually got there. Dalvin Cook is a guy, uh, you know, Pro Bowl running back for the Minnesota Vikings, was accused by a former girlfriend of assault. It was a bizarre situation. I followed that one very closely. That one's still kicking its way around the courts as well. But uh, a woman basically, uh, it's a bizarre set of fact pattern, but uh, the allegations are that she went into Dalvin Cook's house. Uh, she had his garage door opener and a physical altercation ensued. Cook said he had the right to defend himself because she was in his house and vice versa. But no suspension for Dalvin Cook. And that's an interesting kind of gray area going back and forth. Okay, so you have 24 women accusing Deshaun Watson of something who are not his girlfriend. They are just masseuses. You have an ex-girlfriend saying something. Okay, so those are the polar ends of the spectrum. Now, in the middle of this, you have Alvin Kamara, who's caught on tape and admits to it. So 
I've gone on a number of shows, you know, different shows in New Orleans, Dave, and, and we know some of the same people. I go on their mm-hmm. shows and I'm like, yeah, I think the NFL is going to pretty quickly suspend Alvin Kamara here. I don't, I don't know what the defense would be admitted to it. It's on camera. And then I saw a report last week that it's looking more and more likely that Alvin Kamara is not going to be suspended. So I've just told you about six or seven different cases. I throw my hands up. I have no idea what the NFL is doing. I cannot make sense of it. If you're a Saints fan, maybe this is good news. We are across the board in terms of punishments when guys get suspended, which guys do not get suspended. The NFL has a punishment problem on their hands, and I I cannot make sense of it. I study this stuff. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Is, and I know these are things that are negotiated through labor agreements, but is it time that if to adjudicate these things through an impartial third party that both sides need to agree? I mean, like, because like you said, there's no consistency. I guess ultimately the league doesn't care as long as the tickets keep getting sold and the TV ratings stay high. They can be as inconsistent as they want as long as the product doesn't appear to be damaged. And at this point, there seems to be nothing to stop the NFL as far as its product on the, you know, on television and on the field. So, I mean, but for the general public who becomes more and more aware of these things as we go on each year and is upping its knowledge of, of what it thinks the processes should be like, how long do you, th- I mean, you know, just as an opinion, how long do you think this can go on with the league having some credibility in this? Because it doesn't feel like they have any now, but, can you can you continue to operate this way indefinitely? Um, I'm going to set the over under, Dave, at seven and a half years. And I'll tell you why I picked that number. It's not a random number, um, like the random five million dollars suspension they gave to Deshaun Watson. That that's a pretty random number. Um, the NFL CBA was agreed to in March or February of 2020. It was right around February March. It it expires. In, in 2030. So that's where the seven and a half years comes from. The NFL and NFLPA uh, were patting themselves on the back. It's almost like, you know that Obama meme when he's giving himself a medal? Like, they're like, we did such a great job. We fixed the disciplinary protocol and the old system, Goodell could appoint himself uh, as uh, you know the judge over everything or he could assign it to a handpicked person. We've replaced that system. And now it'll be decided by an impartial judge. And if there's any issue, It'll go to, you know, the old system, but let's not worry about that. So, shocker, uh, it went to an impartial judge, and then Roger Goodell, you know, basically took, it, took the case up on appeal to his own handpicked person, and that's how we ended up here. Um, you know, all of those cases I just mentioned, uh, you know, Watson, uh, Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Ridley, DeAndre Hopkins, they do not all fall under the personal conduct policy. Some of them are just conduct detrimental, which is the name of our show, why we picked it just means a lot of different things. Betting on football, you know, the NFL has very different reasons to punish that, that are, you know, what, what truly what, if we're just going to jump for a second, what Calvin Ridley did was not illegal. He bet on sports uh, at a very brief window when, when sports betting was legal in Florida, he did nothing illegal, um, but he gets, you know, like a year, right. What, what Alvin Kamara did. I mean, he's right now, right. There's a criminal case. So, you could have a crazy world where Ridley gets a year and Calvin Ridley doesn't get suspended for a criminal offense. So um, I, I think it's a real CBA issue, but it's, it's a problem that the NFLPA and the NFL have allowed to just kick the can over and over and over. Um, and it's for whatever reason, really full on display this past in the past 365 days with some of these, 
offenses. It's probably even less than it's probably like eight months. So um, it's really a CBA problem. Maybe they could agree to some type of system, but I, it's going to be, it's, it's a problem. Like NFL comes up with new rules every year and they do slight tweaks to the rules every year. But I think this is a, a, a real something that needs to be done with the collective bargaining agreement, because this doesn't, doesn't make sense. What we're, what we're seeing, how does an owner who cheats to try to get Sean Payton and Tom Brady get six games that impacts the on the field product. Calvin Ridley is alleged to have bet on games, right? That's a pretty bad. It affects the on-field product. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, the PEDs, it affects the on-field product. But, you know, at the end of the day, the punishment is six games. And with Sean Watson is getting 11 games, it's not going to stop social media from saying, you know, Calvin Ridley was tweeting today. Like, I basically, you know, he's just, the comment is essentially, he writes 2023 Calvin Ridley. Like, I got a year and Deshaun Watson gets 11 games. What I did was illegal and Deshaun Watson is being sued in court 24 times for sexual assault. It doesn't make sense. So it's an optics problem. You ask me how long it's going to take. Honestly, I, I do think it'll take, if you want to make a real over under, it's probably like four and a half years. It'll probably be done before the CBA is, is mm-hmm. you know, redone, but uh, there's no easy answer. It's, it's a real an optics problem. If, if you want to call it, it's a real problem. Is the ownership problem, do you think the ownership discipline because Daniel Snyder still, has done everything he can to avoid his accountability and, and conversations regarding the culture in Washington. We still have this stuff about what's going on in Dallas. You have what's happening in Houston. You have all these things. And there doesn't still seem to be this very much of a movement towards owner accountability at all. Um, I, I will generally agree with you. I have to, I have to say one thing. I'll give, I don't, I'm usually saying that the NFL is doing messing things up, but I will say they did something right. Um, with, so for, for years and years and years, Bob Kraft, Jerry Jones, uh, you go through the laundry list of people that potentially have, have been accused of doing bad things as an NFL owner. Uh, by and large, no one's ever gotten any punishment. Jim Mersey might have been the exception, unless I'm unless I'm forgetting somebody. And so, his was kind of light, too, considering it was a drug charge. Um, right. And he had fashion drugs in his car. Right. What did he get, a two-game suspension or something? It was something yeah. like Yeah. So, but, but Bob Kraft got zero. Jerry Jones got zero. And, and you, you go down the laundry list. So... The Dan Snyder stuff is interesting. And I have long suspected that Dan Snyder uh, and Deshaun Watson, that would have been an argument that if this went up to the federal court, Watson's team would have argued, hey, there's an owner right now who's dealing with sexual, sexual assault and sexual harassment allegations who settled that case for, I think it was $1.6 million. Where is his, you know, uh, being raked over the coals? Like, where, where is his like public lashing? You didn't have any written report. Nobody's talking about it. And he's indefinitely away from the team, but he's still allowed to cash the checks. And, oh, now his wife is in charge. Really? Like, who's running the team? So that was an argument I thought would be made up on appeal. But, but I made that point. I'm sure a lot of other people made that a point. Um, and then what happened? The Miami Dolphins got in trouble. And Stephen Ross, the owner of the team, was suspended for six games. And people with the Snyder situation were like, where's the written report? And we had um, former female employees of the commander's organization on our podcast, hashtag release the report. You know, we, we had them out here, you know, cause I'm like, if the league is not going to be transparent, I'm going to help tr- provide some transparency. And what did the league do for this Miami dolphins uh, investigation? To their credit, they put out a written report. Uh, they, they put out their findings. I don't necessarily agree with the findings. And I actually think this was a bribery punishment more so than I thought it was a tampering punishment, but the league put something out in writing. So, I don't know, Dave, baby steps, baby steps. It's, it, is, yeah, it is something positive. 
because it does feel like it, it's more to address the Flores situation because it, it help, it's it's their step for when they do have to go to court with Flores. And they said, look, well, we handled that part of it. We reacted to it. Fair, fair. You know, it's, that, uh, that's damage, that. damage control. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on. That, to is one very, that is very fair. Dave, I will say, excellent point. I'm 100% going to steal that from my show. 100%. Because if they left that loose end open and they said, you know what, we are, we were bribed or they left it a question. Uh, that's probably a point that, that Flores' team is going to use. And Flores' team that day took to Twitter and actually took umbrage with, with that, that they said the same point that, that you and I, am, I'm, I'm sure, made. Like, this is a bribery punishment. The NFL doesn't want to call that. So you are right. I, I take a step back. I'm not going to say baby steps. This probably was a moment of CYA, if, if, we're, if we're being honest. Um, the Brittany Griner situation still is, is – that one is, is so much more than sports because this is geopolitics here. Um, and she's filing her appeal um, for her nine-year sentence, which, again, is astronomically large considering the offense um, and precedent that the Russian government had had in the past in dealing with these types of crimes. Um, no, no one is disputing that Brittany Griner shouldn't have had um, CBD oil or cannabis oil in, in Russia. We know we get that. And we know that, that countries have very harsh penalties, um, harsher than the United States when it comes to those things. But nine years compared to what we've seen, and we're talking about less than what we talked, I mean, it was like point something milligrams of fluid. And we've had people with actual amounts of drugs like brought into the country who got months. This is, this, this is bigger than whatever the WNBA can handle. This is bigger than whatever David's, um, Adam Silver, whatever pressure he can put on as the head of the NBA. This is a governmental issue now. Um, and, and obviously part of a negotiation, does she have a chance other than federal government intervention of getting this sentence reduced? The short answer is probably not. Um, you know, it's, it, I don't know. I mean, we can, we could talk about like the fact that government intervention, we're talking about like a story where uh, like almost trade rumors, like it's like an MLB hot stove or NBA trade deadline, which is, kind of gross, but in the same sense, it's better than nothing, right? For a while, we heard that this was not, got, that had not gotten to the highest levels of the government, that it just wasn't maybe a priority, or maybe it was a priority, they just weren't, weren't making it a point. Um, you know, there's conversations now behind the scenes, or I don't want to say behind the scenes, but it's being reported that like a, you know, a massive Russian arms dealer might be the trade for Brittany Griner. And I'm sitting here like, I don't know, like cannabis oil versus and, and something that that at least to Griner's uh, and her perspective was something that she just packed very quickly and it ended up in her bag. Someone that, you know, uh, I, I think I don't know if that's true or not. Who are we to say? But plausibly, could you pack something by accident? Yeah, I'm sure you could. Could you um, be an international arms dealer by accident? Probably not. You know, I, I think probably there's some purposeful. Intent I mean, when your name it. is the merchant of death. <laughs> yeah, that's. um. That is that his Instagram handle? I mean, it's not his Instagram. I mean, but that's you know, that's what they call him. I mean, in yeah, na- yeah. international circles, if you're the merchant of death, I mean, that's a little bit more than um, Brittany Griner, who's played in, in Russia every year for the last eight years. Yeah, it's um, you know, uh, what what's what's Durant's nickname? Like the skinny assassin? Is there something like that? <laughs> what is it? Something like that? Slim Reaper. Slim Reaper, Slim Reaper. So, you know, we, we, we joke, but like, that's, 
that the fact that someone like the Merchant of Death is being talked at as a potential like trade for Griner tells you that her her chances of getting the sentence reduced or getting on her own are very slim, and that the leverage is certainly in Russia's court. Um, you know, so I don't I don't think it's a particularly good scenario that. Uh, you know, that the the Russian political pawn maneuver worked, right? I saw reports of different people that had different drug charges in Russia that were not named Brittany Griner. They were not nearly as famous as Brittany Griner, and they had much lesser sentences for, um, you know, maybe similar offenses, worse offenses, but drug charges. So, uh, you know, the truth is, Dave, which I, I hope I'm right on this. When I saw nine years, I, I did, I spoke to different people. They said, what I'm, was I surprised by nine years? And I go, Honestly, I probably was. I thought that number would be a much more egregious number, like a million years. But mm-hmm. the truth is, like, you know, the over under on time for Brittany Griner to get taken out of Russia is certainly much lower than nine years. Uh, you know, I, I would hope that number is closer to one year. Right. Um, you'd hope at least. So, uh, you know, we've already been there for a couple months. Uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, you're right around that that one year mark. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you're kind of at the whim of Russia to a certain point. The problem is, right, like it is it is a crime in Russia. She has no she had no defense on the merits. It's not a case of mistaken identity or someone planted it. Her defense <laughs> was not really much of a defense. It was I packed them by accident. So, you know, that's that's the problem. So, yeah, you know, you could always try to get a lesser sentence if you didn't do the thing. But Griner is kind of admitted to it. So, you know, the. Uh, her hands are, or you know, for the lack of a better term, her hands are kind of tied by the situation, as as is our government. Um, another big one today, which I think is an earth-shattering one, is the Big Ten's TV deal. Um, the SEC thought they had done a great job, and they got three hundred million a year, basically a three billion dollar deal, three hundred million for ten years. Big Ten comes out, and their deal with NBC, CBS, Fox. Um, and some streaming seven to starts at seven billion could be worth up to ten billion dollars. The first thing I go to, and this is where my mind goes to, is okay, how much are the athletes going to get, you know, from this windfall? How much windfall is there for them? But also, you and I had a conversation not that long ago about the super conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten becoming the two conferences, and everybody else falling by the wayside because now there's. Where else is the money going to go after you've spent, a, you know, seven billion dollars on the Big Ten, which has the bigger markets than the SEC, which has, you know, because the Big Ten now has L.A., it has D.C., it has New York, it has the Midwest with your Cincinnati, your Cleveland's, Detroit, all those major Midwest cities, Minneapolis, all those those markets. And the SEC has the more passionate fan base where you get a larger number, you know, this huge number of eyes every week. There's not going to be any more money to go around for the ACC. There's not going to be any money left for what's left of the Pac-12. There's not going to be any money for whatever remnants there are of the Big 12. Even if those three join together, it just feels like this is pushing that inevitability of that those two super leagues are eventually just leaving the NCAA and they'll have enough money to finance themselves and play by their set of rules. Um, You know, I've certainly been one that's been very critical of the Big Ten over the years. I'm not saying anything today. I am. I'm, I'm going into my little corner over here. Uh, there's, not, there's nothing really I could say. Um, you know, uh, seven billion is a is a ton of money. Uh, and to the point that you just raised, it's it's not just media, major media markets. It's every time zone, right? So um, I don't know. Uh, it, it is certainly. Uh, I don't know. It's 
certainly a, a crazy number. But uh, the other thing to add, which you and I have not spoken about, but it's a conversation you and I spoke about uh, over time, right? At, at a certain point, that number keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's a pie that is it's 100%, 100% kept between the conferences and the schools. Now, when we talk about the NFL and the NFLPA, that pie is split, baseball, so on and so forth. There will be a point in the not-too-distant future where a school will unionize and will uh, collectively bargain for, threaten to strike, all this fun stuff, and they will want a piece of that pie. There are people. You know that meme, uh, Dave, with the guy like behind the tree and he's like putting his fingers together, he's all excited? Like. Yes. You have the unions like uh, that are thinking like that, like that. And and I had um, Jason Stoll on this, the head of the College Football Players Association. He's like a, a guy who's he's an educator, but he's helping. The, he wants to help football programs unionize. So I go, power to you, power player empowerment, so on and so forth. Right? Players are earning that money for the school, seven billion dollars in revenue. Like I don't know, maybe players should see some of it. So that's another interesting narrative here. Seven billion dollars. They want to go out and and go on their horse and say, "Look what we got." The time frame for those unions to start mobilizing that the clock is ticking a lot quicker now, right? Uh, there's just that much more money on the table, and that's a that's a piece of a pie that will resemble any pro sports television contracts. Um, so yeah, I mean it's a big win today, but you know that that uh, eventual loss. When the union comes knocking, it's waiting there, waiting there for the taking. So well, let the Big Ten and all those schools have their big victory lap and power to them. Right? I, I'm happy they yeah. maximize those dollars because now, now the players can help maximize their own dollars. It's interesting, too. It puts Notre Dame in a very interesting situation because now NBC has gotten out of the Notre Dame business exclusively and taken on the Big Ten. I think that puts a lot of pressure on Notre Dame, who has been this halfway in, halfway out member, first of the Big East and now, and then with the ACC for them to say now, the money's not going to follow us. The brand is not the same anymore. If they want to compete for championships or at least the money that's competed at that level, this is this could be the thing that finally pushes them to make the decision to join either the SEC, which seems weird because culturally they don't fit there. Um, but finally, the Big Ten seems to have the leverage on Notre Dame to say, are you in or out? Okay, so um, this is where my, my Twitter sleuthing comes into play here. Uh, I, I, I have to think the – I'm going to probably misremember, but I, I know pre-USC UCLA, that number was being reported as a much lower number, closer to $1 billion than $7 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, obviously, once you add two schools like USC and UCLA, you add the West Coast, you add time zones that you didn't have, that number jumps up a lot, right? There's just more content. So um, that's got to be factored in. The fact that this deal is being announced for $7 billion, I don't know if this is good news or bad news. I think it closes the door on the Notre Dame Big Ten conversation, um, at least for now, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, I think the Big Ten, if they could have announced Notre Dame to go to the conference, they would have held off on the TV deal. They would have. So uh, everyone reported that, that Notre Dame was having the conversations with everyone, Notre Dame is in Big West or the, the, the Midwest. It's in Big Ten territory. Would have made a lot of sense. Now, um, you know, with respect to Domino's, could they join the SEC? Sure. Uh, is there another conference they could join like the ACC? Probably not. I just don't see it. Um, but yeah, it does put, it, it, it gives, if, no, if Notre Dame thinks they can make more money as an independent on a lot of these deals, they're going to do it. Um, 
as a random aside, and I'm happy to answer more questions on the television deal, but I, I don't want to forget this. Have you seen the Manti Teo documentary? Yes. It's all yes, about Notre I Dame. Did. I just finished it yesterday. Oh my God. Yeah. I watched it yesterday as well. And I was, I was flabbergasted at the way Notre Dame handled it. That was very, you know, it's catfishing as we've seen, it was, there's a whole show about it. And, and uh, like they said, kids, he's far away. You're football. I, 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 I you always are going to question somebody, but I can't question emotions. Manti Teo was a young man. He was going through emotions and your emotions will lead you places. But when Notre Dame find out, found out and they said, we don't have to say anything. We're going to just figure this out. I had no understanding of why that was their PR decision right then is, you know, this is going to come back on you because you promoted this. You helped create this monster because you were glad to, to facilitate those interviews with Sports Illustrated. You were glad to facilitate those interviews with the USA Today at CBS and put him out there with this story and not make sure with him, because to me, your job as a university, when you're a communications person, and I've been one, I've been an SID, you make sure your stuff is right. You need to know your story better than the player knows the story, better than anybody else knows the story. And they didn't verify anything, didn't check anything on this. I mean, if a player tells you that their girlfriend died, you're going to, wouldn't you have done just some cursory information? Like I said, you couldn't find anything on Google about this person's existence in anything other related, related to him. This, and she's supposed to go to another high profile university that you play against every year. That you clearly, you know, you have a relationship with Stanford. It ain't hard to give Stanford a call. And you could have, you know what I mean? Like, if you wanted to know, it, it felt like that was just one of the worst handlings of a situation by a university. They did not help Manti Teo out at all when he finally came to them and said, this is what I, I'm confused. This is what I know. If he's telling the truth completely and I have to take him mostly at his word because it seems plausible whatever everything he said seems plausible but what they said does not it doesn't make sense okay so hopefully i said this on my show and i, I always dave I'm, I'm probably like you the, the more i talk publicly the more i i think i'm going to say something that people are going to yell at me about i i watched i watched the jordan documentary once upon a time and it was very clear that jordan got final cut he was looking at Gary Payton. He's like, ha the glove, right? You know, that, that famous video. I watched the Jeter documentary recently and Jeter also got final cut. Someone said something, you know, that he didn't like you. Jeter got to watch the clip and respond to it in a documentary. The Manti Teo documentary was very clearly, he got final cut. It wasn't as obvious, but I, I as we sit here in 2022, and after having watched that documentary, I am not convinced that Manti Teo was completely innocent in this whole process. At the Heisman Trophy presentation, which I remember watching live, and I was a big fan of Manti Teo, not to say that I'm not a fan of his, I don't, right. capture stuff doesn't necessarily bother me, but, you know, he, they said, and at this point at the Heisman Trophy ceremony, he knew that right. his, his alleged dead girlfriend had come back to life, which didn't make any sense. So they asked him, I think it was Chris Fowler's on stage, he's like, what do you, what do you, what's your most famous moment about the 20, whatever season was 2005 season. He's like, well, I just remember when my girlfriend died, she said to me this. And I remember this, the last word she said to me, I'm like, hey, humble, wait, yeah. wait. So you know that your girlfriend has now come back to life 
And that was what you decided to roll with. So part of me, uh, and, and obviously, Dave, to your point about Notre Dame, he was talking to either his parents, his lawyers, his agent, whoever, the, whoever he was talking to behind the scenes um, about how to handle those questions. Someone told him to say that. Someone told him to continue the fraud at that time. So if, if you were someone that thinks that Manti Teo helped facilitate this catfish um, or was okay with the narrative as they head into the national title game, uh, I, I, certainly you didn't get the vibe that, that those people – those people will say were silenced from the documentary. They were not in the documentary. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a, you know, I'm a sports law guy. I have a PR background, so I watch that very closely. Uh, and um, I don't know. I, I think they would have been better off telling both sides of the story. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I agree with you on that part. When he goes up there, and, and like you said, he knew, and he says, you know, I could have said anything, but in the moment, no, no. Like, you're right. What he said was he was ready to say that answer. He was ready for that answer because, you know, it, I've been around enough people who have been asked questions on the spot to know that they when they are trying to search for an answer, he was ready. He okay. had that and it was down. And so, yeah, once that occurs, I think as soon as he goes to Notre Dame, I think we could have all dealt with it. You know what I mean? I really believe that if he as soon as he gets this call back, you know, whatever. <laughs> If that's the right. case, if that's Put the hands up, I've been catfished. I've been catfished. Yeah. This, this happened to me. This, I don't, I'm screwed. I know this is embarrassing. How do we handle this? If he says that and the university comes back to you and says, we're going to keep this going. We're just going to keep it quiet. Manti Teo, if he says he's of that character, which is the thing that that's the thing they pushed throughout that entire documentary was his character as a young man, that he always wanted to help people and do the right thing then to me, there's no way that you could convince me as the person who says, I'm always wanting to do the right thing, to go along with a lie on yeah. that scale, nationally, to go on television with something that I know is a lie. And, and then not only to go with it and not just not correct people, but to add to it and continue to add to it once you've known that, you, that it's a lie. Whenever you find out it's a lie, immediately. And you can say, well, I'm confused. And I asked for this picture and all that. No, no. What that to me, that's the part that's always going to bother me about his part of it. But the adults in charge at Notre Dame for them to say, we'll just keep it quiet and we'll go. We'll figure something out. And we'll manage this. There, this is crisis management. Now, this is no longer managing a PR story, you are managing crisis because you have something that is directly going to be, this is going to adversely affect this kid's career, which it did. It affected his draft status. It affected his entire NFL career. It affected the university's perception. It affected the, the integrity of that Heisman vote. And I do believe people did vote, you know, put him in the final as a Heisman finalist because of that story. Yes, they absolutely did feel sympathy for this kid who lost his grandmother and his girlfriend on the same day and all these things. Yeah, those absolutely had to do with it. And it, it just feels like, yeah, they clean, they sanitize that to make us feel bad for everyone involved with no one having fault. You wanted to make it essentially where no one had fault, like this person because of their sexuality, which again, I get it. I understand the, the, the struggles if you're a transgendered person or you're conflicted and you're trying to, to have a connection with somebody that goes, but it went into the, that's a, it went to the point where it was criminal. 
And then to, in my mind, when you start saying I'm a dead, you know, I die and you're creating other people and all this, now it's a bit more than just catfishing. You are creating an entire family around that movie. <laughs> and for all well, those things that happen, it, they acted like the end of it is kind of just like, we all <laughs> learned from it. And it was just, that was the disappointment of it for me. It was like, it was a tough thing, but hey, we're all the better for it today. I forgive him. I forgive her. I forgive them. No, it's not that simple. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. And again, I'm choosing my words very, very carefully. It, it, Manti Teo, because I, I, remember, I remember reading an Outside the Line story uh, for ESPN where Manti Teo was supposed to speak to ESPN. And he like, at the 11th hour, backed out. He didn't want to speak to them anymore. And so this story comes out. It, you know, you know, Manta Teo's had a you know solid yet unspectacular NFL career. You could tell if you watch this, this, this like aided him at every single second of his NFL career. Why now? Why bring it up now? Because I'm sure Netflix gave him the bag. I'm sure Netflix gave him a huge bag, right? And the Players um, Tribune produced it, which is right. not going to make him look bad. The Players Tribune is for the benefit right. of players. Derek Jeter owns the Players Tribune. Right. If you really want to get past this, right, and, and the whole point of this was to get some sympathy. I don't want to say sympathy, but to tell a story, whatever. And for, you know, uh, for me, right, to tell to tell a story. But, you know, you let this the narrative fly wild for 20 years. I'm not 20, maybe like 15 years. And now you want to come forward. Like if you really wanted to put this thing in the past, uh, you could have done this a long time ago. There was a lot of interest in this years and years ago. So now we get like the manicured version of like, what's the perfect way to handle this? And I'm like, you know, I, I would have liked the raw version, um, you know, so whatever. Um, it is what it is, but I, I love those documentaries. Uh, that one, I, I think it's a, a good story. We learned a lot, uh, but as well, the reason I thought to bring it up, Notre Dame, once upon a time, the powerhouse, they had a brief glimmer of hope with, with Notre Dame. Uh, with the Manti Terriera, and uh, we'll see what comes of Notre Dame in the future. But, uh, you know, they're, they're relevant, once again, at least for purposes of our uh, – They came off looking the worst, though. I think they come I off think looking so. the worst. I think so. Out of all uh, – and Manti Terriera, again, I think people will feel sympathy for him in general. Um, but there are always going to be some questions. Not about – I don't think the question's about his sexuality. You know, that, that I don't think that's the thing because I don't care. And like like people said, if that's if that's what you came with, and I think that's where the dead spin guys were dead on with that. It's not about the sexuality of this. Right. Yeah, that was it's a good point. Fact, it's about all the people that allowed this story to keep going on and all the people who are complicit in building this lie. And that's the media. It's Manti Teo. It's Notre Dame. It was a lot of people who took part in building this this falsehood and and those people should be held to account in some way and man that's how has to take some personal account i mean really i mean there's there is some personal responsibility you can only be naive up to a point when you're in that when you're in that position again it's not the i mean you know again catfishing is real i get it I, we know it happens people get fooled all the time but it just it just it, it just feels like, dude, you didn't try. Like, if this is the story, you didn't try really hard because it's not that hard. You know, you, I mean, again, Notre Dame plays Stanford every year. So at some point, you would think during these four years, like, you didn't come to a Notre Dame-Stanford game? You didn't, we were on campus and I didn't see you? The, I mean, all these things just are just very odd to me. And just your unwillingness to follow up in your own brain and to keep having conversations with someone you've never seen. 
it just that that was just odd to me. And then for Notre Dame to just be like, yeah, we're cool with this. We're cool. <laughs> like we're not gonna tell. We're not gonna tell. There's no nothing to tell here. They wanted the Heisman. That's what Notre Dame wanted. They wanted the Heisman so that they could add it to the shelf because they hadn't gotten one. They hadn't had a national championship since 1989. This was what they thought they were as close as they were going to get. You know, I think what Tim Brown had been their last Heisman Trophy winner in 87. So, yeah, they wanted the Heisman. And that's, they, they, but they won't act like that. They won't act like there was a selfish motivation because, again, like you said, it was the manicured version of the story. It's not the raw. I think his parents even held back because I guarantee you his father, is not nearly as composed about that as he appears in that documentary. If the, if it went down the way that they said it did, there's no way his dad is nearly as was composed and be like, huh, I don't get it. You know, like his dad's like, hmm, I don't really understand. No, his dad's not a naive man. He did not come across as a, as a naive man. You may be from a small village in northern uh, Oahu, you are not that naive. You, you, you are not that dispassionate about a father and his girlfriend who you never met again. And you live and these people are from Hawaii. So in Hawaii is not a giant place. It just seems like something could have been done. It just it, it's, it's very odd. It, it will remain one of the oddest stories that, that I've heard in some time. Um, this uh, segment has been sponsored by Netflix's Untold, the Manti Teo story. <laughs> It's very good. I definitely recommend it. But do watch it. Yes. Yes. Do watch it. The, the last thing I wanted to, um, to close on um, was the NFL in St. Louis. Because this continues to go on. It's a, and I, I, we, we've been talking about this for years now. And St. Louis, the city, is once two-thirds of that money. They want the money. And <laughs> because they already got screwed on the deal. Uh, I felt like they, they took less than they should have. Um, but, yeah, this was... I think they just, they took a bad deal. Um, maybe you, Dave, have seen an update that I have not. What, oh, yeah, is, is it was just a, a few hours ago, yeah, that, uh, that they, I thought that the, the city is asking. No, you, you, you might be right. I've been on Watson Watch the whole, the whole day. Oh, okay. Well, Wait, let's, let's, let's read. For another time, but yeah. just yeah. from your knowledge of it, because we, we, you did talk, we did talk about it extensively when the case was going on. Do you think that there's a legitimate, um, that the city was going to get more money. I don't think that they are because I think they blew their chance when they settled. When their lawyers settled, I thought they blew it and and they really should have pushed harder then. I mean, I, I think they should. I mean, I it's like the same story with Watson, right? You tend to get the best deal, right? When, um, you know, on the courthouse steps, so to speak, right? The, the deal for Watson was, was struck right as they were about to get a decision from, you know, former New Jersey Attorney General, uh, Peter Harvey. So I I don't remember what the exact date was. It was like 90 days out from trial. It was a long time. So, you know, the NFL, I'm sure said, right, like, uh, take it or leave it. If you don't accept it now, we're not going to offer you anything else up until trial. Um, everyone says that. No one means it, but everyone says it. So I I tend to think that they they left some money on the table. But at the end of the day, it's a $790 million settlement. It is money that, um, you know, San Diego did not get for the team leaving, right? It's money that Oakland did not get for their team leaving. Uh, both cities or both or both cities, at least people on their behalf, had tried to get that money for them. Neither city got it. So I want to say that, that the city of St. Louis probably sold themselves a little bit short. They got probably like 80 cents on the dollar. But it's better than Oakland and San Diego. They got a big 
Squadoosh. Dan, thank you so much. We could we could probably talk about a lot more, but um, you know, it's always a pleasure, man, when I when I get to uh, to talk to you because um, I learn something and and then just you present you just present it in such a way that it's easy to understand and digest, dude. I always appreciate you. Always have fun with you, Dave, and uh, always happy to come back on. Man, tell uh, folks you got any uh, got a new episode coming soon. Uh, we snuck in a non-Watson episode yesterday. We'll have a Watson episode of uh, our podcast, Content Detrimental, coming out today, um, probably later tonight. Uh, but yeah, no shortage. You know, uh, we were joking, Dave, that there's nothing to talk about. You and I could probably cover another six topics that uh, I know you're informed on. PGA versus Liv, Trevor Bauer. Uh, you know, it just the world of sports law does not sleep. Um, even Miles Brennan, the LSU quarterback, who I'm sure you've had a lot of thoughts on, who uh, highway robbery gets his NIL deals and, and doesn't play football again. There is, in this day and age, and I've, I've only been practicing law for about, for about 10 years, now, a little bit less. I, I've, I, I never had a day in my legal career where there were this many sports law stories that we were following simultaneously. And I'm a sports law professor. I study the history of sports law. I don't, there's nothing like it. So it's a great era for us. Uh, and if you're interested in, in this kind of fun intersection, um, you know, we, we'd love to have you on. And, and Dave, you, I don't say this lightly, you are one of the best in the country. Uh, and eventually, eventually you will get the platform that you deserve because you are, you are fan effing tastic. I was going to say the F word, but <laughs> you, uh, I love the way that you present stuff. And I go on a lot of shows, but, um, you know, I always love, I always love chatting up with you. Tell the folks the website because you can subscribe to get the newsletter, daily newsletter from uh, the website as well. Wow. Dave, you're, you did your homework. ConductDetrimental.com. I'm a subscriber. Um, well, we went on a hiatus because our, our guy, Taryn, our boy, Taryn, was taking the bar. So I'm like, you don't have to do the newsletter. It's, this is just a fun exercise. But yeah, ConductDetrimental.com, podcast. Um, you know, to the extent that you want to get into the weeds, I have more information on my last or on any podcast, we explain how to get more involved. If you are a college kid, you're a law student, you're a young lawyer or a senior lawyer, or just someone that likes a legal space, uh, you know, there's always a spot for people to contribute. And if you're looking for work too, he puts up sports law jobs. He's always posting sports law jobs. So check that out as well. So for Dan Lust, I'm David Grubb. This has been Arm McCain, and I uh, will talk to you soon.